In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. During the season of Epiphany Tide, we reflect on the different ways in which God has revealed himself or manifested himself to the world. And chiefly and obviously, we focus on the revelation of God to us in his Son. In his Son, God unveiled to the world a mystery, as St. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 3. A mystery which was not made known in other ages, but now it has been revealed. To the intent, he says, that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church and to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places, according to his eternal purposes. This mystery, Paul says, is that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of the same promise. In other words, now, all peoples are invited to be a part of God's family. And it's interesting how Paul says that this is made known to the principalities and powers of the world, that is, to the rulers of darkness. This is the great triumph held up proudly to these rulers of evil, that now in Christ there is nobody who is outside of the realm of God's redemption. And the real epiphany, which bears repeating every year, is that this is us, this is you and me. As Paul says in Ephesians 2, that the Gentiles, that is, we, were without Christ, aliens and strangers from the covenants of promise. But now in Christ, we who are once far off have been brought near by his blood. The Epiphany message embodied in this image of the Magi lying prostrate on the ground, worshiping the baby Jesus, is that this baby is not only the long-awaited Messiah to the Jewish people, but he's also Savior of the whole world. And it's this mystery, this gospel, that Paul goes to great lengths to articulate in his letter to the Romans. Our epistle this morning comes right after Paul has just finished arguably the most central and climactic part of the entire epistle in Romans chapters 9 through 11. And at the heart of this discussion stands the place of the law and its role within the community of the people of God. As one New Testament scholar puts it, the law defined both who the people of God were ethnically, but also then gave them the ethical framework by which they were supposed to live. And as mentioned in chapters 9 through 11, Paul has explained how this has gotten completely changed. The lay of the land ethnically, the who of the people of God in Christ, has changed. The Gentiles, again us, have been brought near through the blood of Christ, and it is now faith in Jesus that gives us standing in this covenant. It's not about being Jewish, rather it's about being in Christ. So again, the ethnic boundaries have been reworked. A new race has been created, which supersedes all old races. So then the question is, is given this reworking of the who are the people of God, who are the people of the law, what then do we now say about the ethical requirements of the law? This was the question, and it's what Paul is seeking to address as he begins Romans chapter 12. You see, for the Jewish people, at the heart of the ethical requirements of the law was the sacrificial system, the sacrificial system of the temple and the liturgical life and all of the ritual that flowed out of that. 
And we really shouldn't underestimate just how central this would have been for the Jewish people. It marked them, it gave them their distinctive identity. It was their unifying and corporate rhythm of life. So it would have been troubling to hear Paul, or to hear from Paul, that in Jesus, this has now all come to an end. I don't think it would be too far of a stretch to compare it to what the experience would be like for us as Christians if all of our liturgies, our traditions, our prayers, our sacraments, if it were all to come to an end suddenly without us really expecting it to happen at all. So according to Paul, the law has now been reworked. And what does then this now look like to fulfill the ethical requirements? This is what Paul is addressing. And the first thing that he tells us is that at the heart of the ethical requirements for God's people, we still see something very significant, and that is we still see sacrifice. Sacrifice, as mentioned, was at the heart of the Old Testament system. And according to Paul, it's at the heart of the New Covenant system. Though, as he will explain, sacrifice has now gone through a radical transformation. So instead of it looking like the bloody slaughtering of an animal on the altar in the temple, now what sacrifice looks like is you, in your daily living, sacrificing yourself to God. This is your reasonable service or your spiritual worship. So this is a transition that has taken place from old to new, from daily ritual sacrifices in the temple to the daily sacrifice of yourself in community. This is what fulfills the law, and this is the new ethical requirement. Before an animal had to be put to death in order for the community to have life, the Son of Man came and had to die in order for the world to have life, and we too must sacrifice ourselves in order to maintain the life of the community. So then after speaking to the reality that sacrifice remains at the center of the requirements for God's people, Paul next then tells his readers or exhorts them to what then the living out of this sacrifice looks like. What does it mean then to sacrifice yourself to God? Though he doesn't give explicit details. Rather he says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So not being conformed to this present age, rather having one's mind renewed, is the means through which we, one, make our sacrifice, and, to, and two, discern God's will and subsequently live it out. The idea here that Paul is getting at is not escape. It's not that the world is somehow inherently or intrinsically evil, that we just need to flee from it. Paul does not exhort us to be Puritans, but rather Paul does nonetheless recognize the power of many things, the power of social dynamics, of politics, of culture, religion, tradition, the company we keep, and how all of these things have an undeniably formative role in the people that we become. Who you spend your time with, what you watch on Netflix or YouTube, the time you spend on your phone, on social media, the news you listen to, the things you read, the things you buy. Your daily habits are all forming you, and we need to wake up to the reality that these 
seemingly insignificant things that we do on a daily basis, that the little things, let's say, of our life are our life. They are shaping us more than we realize. And Paul recognizes both sides here. That is, these are outside cultural and social forces, but yet we have a responsibility here, which is why he says imperatively, don't be conformed to this world. And it seems as though his point is, again, that we need to wake up, because if we don't wake up, the default will not be that we are formed into the reality of the kingdom. No, that's his point. To be formed into the kingdom requires effort, intentionality, and sacrifice. The default will be that we, are, we end up being formed into and shaped by the spirit of the age. Again, being formed into the kingdom happens through sacrifice, through the daily sacrifice of ourselves in community to God. As we put to death on ourselves all of that which needs to die, we are changed, we are transformed, and the more and more we experience this transformation, the more we are able to, as Paul puts it, discern the will of God, which is the whole purpose for both the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, that we would know the will of God and then do it. And even though, as I said, Paul doesn't specifically say, this is what to do, even though he doesn't specifically say, this is how your mind is to be transformed or renewed, nonetheless, it's very obvious from reading Paul that he has a clear idea in mind of what he means by this. And that is simply Christ. That we would look to the life of Christ as our example of the ethical requirements placed on us, that we would imitate him and his life, and that we would simply do what he told us to do. So that is that we would speak the way that he speaks to others, that we would pray the way he prays, that we would seek the relationship with the Father that He seeks with the Father, that we would have compassion the way that He has compassion, etc. And that we would simply actually do the things that He tells us to do. They're not just church platitudes or nice Bible stories that we read to our children, rather actual, simple faithfulness and obedience to Christ. This is the means through which we make our sacrifice and the means through which our minds are transformed. So therefore, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.